for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, I'm delighted to have a repeat guest in the form of Ramiz Kaleem from 3R Strategy. And um, Ramiz is going to take us through uh, the research recently that they've been involved in, which is salary trends for 2023. And given you know inflation and all the pressures, I thought it's never been a more interesting time to understand this. And rather than us all having to go through the detail ourselves, I thought I'd ask Ramiz to explain it and translate it for us. So Ramiz, please introduce yourself and thank you for joining me once again on the HR Uprising podcast. Hi, Lucinda. Thanks for inviting me again. Um, so um, as you know, my um, focus is all around pay transparency. And so um, that was one of the reasons that we ran this report um, is really to find out how organisations are managing pay um, and giving some insights into market practice um, and insights into what sort of budgets organizations were setting, which, you know, I think is always an interesting topic for HR professionals because um, they're setting budgets for the year and what that should be negotiating with unions. But this year in particular with the record inflations, I think it was it was um, uh, really a topic of discussion for a lot of HR professionals. So. We, we ran a survey towards the end of last year and um, had over 500 organizations participate in that survey. And we asked them a number of questions um, around uh, their pay budget. So what was their pay budget for 2022? And what was their forecast pay budget for 2023? And I think um, the, the budget, uh, the median for 2022 came out to be uh, 4%. And... Um, there was slight, slight variation. So the lower quartile was 3%, upper quartile was 5%. Um, but the numbers for 2023, which um, I I thought they might be slightly higher, but the median was 5%. And um, I think, I thought maybe there were some companies that would have had a, a much higher pay increase. But actually, when we looked at the results, the vast majority of companies said that their uh, pay budgets were 5%. So while the median was 5%, the upper quartile was also 5%. So it just really demonstrated that although inflation was at record levels, most companies really just couldn't afford that it level of inflation. Totally match it. So, you're, so when you're saying the median in the, for 2023 was 5%, there wasn't a great deal of range. If you're saying it was the top, percent, uh, the top quartile as well was 5%. So pretty much everybody, the maximum. I mean, were there any real outliers? Was anyone trying to hit 10%? I think that there were there were some high numbers. So you know, because we're talking about a big sample. So I mean, the way to look at these numbers is it's 
you know, let's say if, if you have 100 organizations and what we're doing is we're ranking those 100 organizations from your lowest budget to your highest budget, yeah. the, the, the number that sits in the middle is the median. So that's 5%. And the number that is the 75th highest number out of the 100 is your upper quartile. So you still, if you start to look at the 90th percentile or 95th percentile, you will have numbers in there like 10%, for example, or 12%. But the vast majority of companies said 5%. Sorry, I thought you said earlier that it was also in the top quartile. So either the top, as in... 20... The upper quartile. Right, so so 5% was the upper quartile, which in my understanding... Yes. Right. So there wasn't... So that, in my interpretation, that is there wasn't a great deal of variation in school if that there wasn't for the vast majority of um cases but uh, you will have the odd company that we did try and match inflation so uh when we looked at there were a few companies from aerospace and defense and they had a high uh, upper quartile of 7.8 percent uh logistics and distribution had an upper quartile of six percent insurance had an upper quartile of 6.5 percent fs Seven percent. So there were some outliers, but um, in the whole, I think five percent was the most common number. Right. Okay. Um, and so those sort of industries. Did did you get any in, any insight as to why they would be paying more? I'm assuming it's competition for talent. Um, is is that the reason was as to why some would pay more? Yes, I, th I think you know ultimately it comes down to affordability, and like you said, competition for talent, and um, because most organizations are thinking we want to do as much as we can, particularly when you look at the charity sector, they're thinking we want to try and do as much as we can, but it's just not affordable to have a 10% because it's not just, you know, a 10% pay rise. It then impacts um, all your other costs, including pensions, and it's it's an ongoing cost for the future. So that's why companies are more cautious. Um, but when it comes to sectors like financial services and um I know we worked with a few clients within life sciences. There's a lot of competition for talent in life sciences and pharmaceutical sectors. And so I think that's part of the reason that they were looking for higher budgets because um, you know, we had the great uh, resignation as well. And um, they were really struggling to recruit. And that's, that, that, that is the reason that they pushed some of those higher budgets. What, what, it, what this doesn't take into account, though, is um the variable pay and bonus so while you don't have variable pay in sector you know in the public sector in the charity sector education sector um within financial services they had a slightly higher budget at the upper quartile um they they also tend to have bonuses and so they will have uh, base salary increases but they will also try and compensate people through one-off payments which we actually have seen in other sectors as well so we've seen a number of charities say we're going to give you a one-off payment um to um you know to support you with the cost of living increases whether that's a one-off payment in some cases um although there's more admin they've split it over uh, um the 12 months to say you know you have higher monthly bills so this is to support you with those bills so they're not committing to it being on the books forever on the hope that inflation will come down but giving people support in sort of cost of living payments either in lumps or by spreading it out Exactly. Yeah. What proportion do you did you have a sense of what proportion of those surveyed were doing cost of living payments? So it wasn't part of this survey, but we've run other sort of pulse surveys uh, in in webinars and so on, and um, 
uh, a recent webinar we ran um, where we asked people if they were doing cost of living increases. It was almost sort of half the organizations were doing something, the other half weren't. And then within the half that were doing something, it was either a, a one-off uh, payment or um, you know they were looking to do something like, like a monthly. We have seen organizations do other things as well. Um, uh, just, so things like um, introducing new benefits, um, you know, shopping discounts. So they give them a discount with supermarkets, things like um, benefits where people are able to, in some cases, get uh, advance payment for some of their salaries. Because when you have things like your car insurance renewal, you have a big lump sum payment to be paid in a particular month. And so getting advance payment. So they've also tried to do some innovative things through benefits as well. Um, and on the cost of living type payments, do you have a sense of what sort of figures people were offering? It really varies. Um, I think what most organisations have tried to do is have payments that are meaningful. So you don't want to give everyone, um, you know, a um, hundred pounds or two hundred pounds pay increase. That doesn't really um, uh, have much of an impact. So we've seen lots of. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so there were lots of large organizations like Rolls-Royce um, uh, that did lump sum payments. Um, I can't remember all the company names, but we, you know, there were payments ranging from sort of £1,500 to £2,500. Um, we've also seen cases where you know, companies will look at their budgets and say, actually, we can only afford with the budget that we've set to give, I don't know, 800 pounds to everyone. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on people that are below a particular salary um, and give like a 1500 payment to everyone below a particular salary. Um, sometimes it's below a particular job level. Those things can be a little bit tricky because if you have, you know, if your cutoff point is 30,000 and somebody's on 30,200, then they lose out. So those things can be a bit tricky, but um, there are different ways and lots of different things that different organisations have been doing. It's tricky, isn't it, as to what what is fair? Um, yeah, it's fair giving people who earn the least, you know, more or, you know, have, yeah, a really, really challenging one. That's why I think it's very interesting and useful for our listeners to have a sense of what other people are doing, isn't it? Because you only really see what's going on in your organisation. Um, just going back to one of the things you said earlier, because I'm not sure if I was totally following the, um, the terminology. So you talked about within sectors and you talked about um, the quartiles again. Mm. Now, are you talking then about within an organisation as in a variance? Of, and I suppose this is what this is, my question is, when you're asking people about their pay rise budget, say they have a budget of 5%, were they giving everybody 5% flat and therefore your quartiles you were talking about within industry? Or were you talking about the variation within a company where they were distributing that pot of 5% within their company? So I, I think that varies by organization and um, you will have a lot of organizations and this is, you know, I think in the nonprofit sector, uh, public sector, if you set a budget of 4%, everyone gets a 4% increase. Yeah. Um, but then in other organizations, particularly, for example, financial services, it might be performance-based. So people might be given a performance rating. So if you rate it a good, you get 3%. If you rate it outstanding, you get 7%. And that's how they manage it. So this was also one of the questions that we did ask in the survey, say, do you link performance 
uh, to pay or do you give everyone the same amount? And um, we had 17% of organizations that said that they link their salary to uh, performance. 22% um, said that they link bonus to performance and um, another 38% said that they link both salary and bonus to performance. So another what another eighteen did you say then? Sorry? What sorry, what was the third figure? Oh, the third figure was 38%. So they, they link both the salary and the bonus to performance. So if you sort of add that up, that's um, you know, 60% or um or actually if you look at all of them, it's it's 77% are saying that they link pay to performance in some way. Um, but then that varies by by sector. So in in the charity sector, 74% of organizations said that they don't link pay for performance. Right, yeah. Um, uh, but in within financial services, pretty much everyone um, said, I think it was 97% said that they do link pay for performance. So that very much varies by organization and sector. That I mean, that in itself is quite an interesting one. I don't know how much detail you've got behind it. And I don't know whether you can answer this question that I'm going to throw at you, but I'll ask you anyway. Because um, I have a sense that um, performance-related pay or sort of gradings, because um, obviously that links to appraisals, which we do a lot of, I feel that it's less popular than it has been. Now, I don't know whether that's a factor of the types of companies that we're working with. I totally agree that charities and public sector wouldn't are not able to do it, and it would still be the norm in somewhere like financial services. Do you have a, a sense of, do you think it's, this, I, I don't know whether you've asked this question previously in research, but mm. do you have a sense of whether it's more or less popular or about the same than it was, say, three, five years ago? I think if we look, because there's the link to salary, then there's links to the bonus. Yes. Um, if we look at the link to salary, I think that has definitely gone down from maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, where more organizations. Yeah, yeah, and and um, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is, um, in the past, budgets have been quite low. So if you've got a two percent budget, three percent budget, there's not much differentiation. You know, you if you have to be in the ninety ninetieth or ninety fifth percentile to be yeah. outstanding, and you get an extra two percent pay increase, and that's not really motivating for anyone. Yeah, and actually, I suppose when we've got higher budgets at the moment, then maybe it is more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's very true, isn't it? That three percent isn't doesn't make. A yeah. Break. So I, I think that's that's base salary. I think um, the uh, the bonus element is still very much uh, linked to performance for most organisations, and it's usually um, a, a mixture of individual performance and company performance. So how the company does and the measures around company performance are changing, adapting as well because. There's a lot more, you know, in the past, it might have been just financial measures, EBITDA. Now, increasingly, you're starting to see things like uh, customer satisfaction. Um, larger organizations are starting to introduce things like ESG, where about sustainability, governance, all those, uh, you know, diversity inclusion measures. Individual company level. Sorry? That would be at company level, an ESG type. Yes, that would, that, that would be a company level. But again, and in larger organizations where you have shareholders, investors, it's it's it can be a measure for the the execs as well. So at the executive level, it can be a measure that comes in. Right. Okay. Um. Oh, that, that's quite that's quite interesting. So so you're so just to clarify, then you you'd say that really overall, 
um, even though you're saying sort of 77, 67%, was it when we added those up, um, of them actually came to uh, people were doing a link with salary, um, a link with performance related elements of it. It's more predominantly in a bonus payment rather than um, in a salary increase, or it has been, is what, what you're saying generally. Um, oh, sorry, I think you're going to clarify. I'm going to come back. I've got a second question on the individual because you were talking about corporate level measures. Yeah. I'll go at you, then you can answer both points at the same time. The other one I was wondering, are you seeing more companies um, when they're looking at individual performance, also looking at things like behaviours, like measuring values and stuff? I don't know if it goes that deal. Yeah, I'll let you answer, then you're nodding. For the benefit yeah. of the <laughs> <laughs> um, so on, on the first one, I think um, bonus definitely is linked to performance in most cases. But I, I, I think salary for a lot of organizations is still linked to performance. I think what is um, uh, the, the trend is that where you said that organizations are moving away, I think what a lot of them are moving away from is performance ratings. So mm -hmm. they're moving away from giving ratings to people to say you're a two, you're a three, you're a four, but having more of a fluid process with regular check-ins, um, you know, seeing how people are doing against their objectives, but not setting annual objectives, setting more regular objectives. So I think that performance element in a lot of organizations is still taking place because they want to differentiate pay increases for their exceptional contributors and performers, people who are going above and beyond, um, but not putting people into buckets. So I think there's a decline in performance ratings, but We've actually seen some uh, non-profit and charity organizations going down this route where in the past they've had a pure length of service based pay increase, the spine point increase. And now they're saying, you know, uh, people are getting to the top end of their pay bands um, and, you know, there's risks around uh, equal pay and age discrimination. So you have two people doing the same job, same contribution. Somebody's just been there 10 years and hence they're on an extra £8,000. And so there's actually a shift towards performance and contribution. And mm -hmm. I, it sort of links in with the, your second point around behaviors, because traditionally, a lot of the performance-based approach has been around, you know, looking at your objectives over the last 12 months and how people are doing against those objectives. And that's your performance. And what we do is we look at the past performance to give people a pay increase. And a couple of challenges. One is that um, you know performance can fluctuate from year to year, and we do this because we think that past performance is our best predictor of future performance. But actually, behaviors are a better predictor because while performance can fluctuate from year to year, behaviors tend to be more consistent. And so, um, what what we call it is a, a like a total contribution approach. And a total contribution approach is not just looking at output, but it's looking at the input. And the input is all around the behaviors that um, are consistent with your exceptional performers and contributors. So what are they doing and how are they behaving that consistently leads to exceptional performance? And what are the behaviors that are aligned to your organizational values and the culture that you're looking to create in your organization? And it's that message of, it's not just about what you deliver, but it's about making sure that we are creating the right culture in our organization and that we're delivering things in the right way. So for example, if we include things like customer satisfaction as a measure, there's a lot of research that says, you know, if you behave in the right way, you have excellent customer service, ultimately that leads to higher revenue. And so behaviors become a lot more important. 
That's interesting. So the same thing with things like engagement. So I think you could maybe think of things like management behaviours, I suppose you could um, use as a, a, a measure there as well. I, so I can see how that could be more um, effective or, or certainly helpful for an organisation seeing the bigger picture rather than just narrow performance that's, let's say, I'm a salesperson and I'm in a, I'm in a sector that's got no money or, you know, that obviously I can't sell into it for, for whatever reason to do with external uh, events, whereas someone else might luck in. Um, but I maybe contribute another way. So I can definitely see how how that's an, a good way of looking more broadly. Can I go back to your other point and see, but I don't know, of course, everyone's moving to, well, well I say everyone, lots of people I'm talking to are moving to regular check-ins, ongoing objectives. It's a much more effective way of um, actually driving people to perform, right? So annual objectives don't make sense. But what I would love to know is how... But what is the magic formula, though, for organisations to objectively evaluate performance across the organisation um, without having some sort of culmination? Now, you can take away a rating and and give it a label, uh, but I don't really understand how um, how you can still be objective and fair without some sort of oversight or calibration at some point. And it's usually going to be annual in order to think about how you're going to distribute reward fairly. Is, is there some other magic formula that you've come across out there? Um, I mean, uh, unfortunately, there isn't a, a magic formula, but, uh, you know, with a lot of these processes, it's um, there. I think there are two challenges. One is uh, the starting point for our employees. So the, if we have the same outcome for everyone, it doesn't mean that it's fair because the way we in a lot of organizations, we don't have a consistent way in how we decide salary for our people. And they will ask questions like, what is your current salary? What is your expectation? Or it's up to people's ability to negotiate during the recruitment process. So you could, uh, in the same example, you could be doing the same job, making this similar contribution, but one person is on 40,000, but the other person has managed to negotiate a salary of 48,000. And so if we say, let's go through a calibration and, and see that they're getting a similar pay increase because of their performance, that inequity is never going to be bridged. And so I think that's one concern. That leveling though, I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I mean, yeah, okay, so that's a percentage type thing. And, and I suppose there's other ways you could address that. If we talked about a bonus though, for example, in terms of how you allocate a bonus, which you said that more companies do are doing that rather than linking salary. Would you, I mean, then you can treat everyone the same if it's the same pot, I, I guess it, its proportions of the same pot and I, I take your point about the leveling mm. um is it fair because people when people it's what salaries people come in on I, I take that that point it's more about how do you assess is there a better way of assessing performance relative to other people to distribute it fairly um I so I, I yeah I, th I think bonus is a good example because everyone is um you know at the same level um and you're trying to assess how people are doing um I think you will always have a level of subjectivity because we're not machines, everyone is different. And ultimately we have to uh, trust line managers who, if they are having their weekly or regular check-ins with people within their team to be able to make that assessment. But I think what we do need is a framework and a set of definitions that tells us um, that if somebody, let's say you have a bonus of um, 10 to 20%. So the midpoint is 15, um, uh, exceptional is 20, uh, at the lower end is 10. 
we need a set of definitions to say these are our expectations on what should happen, what the outcomes should be and what the behaviors should be if somebody is to get 20%. Because if a line manager um, you know, uh, makes a case for 20%, then if there are regular check-ins, if there are these discussions, the, the more regular objectives, they're able to demonstrate why they've made a case for that 20%. And that applies to salary as well. So what we would say is, you know, if you have a salary range again of 40 to 50,000 is to really define uh, for your organizations to say for the culture that we want in our organization for what we think leads to exceptional contribution, these are the behaviors and the outputs that we expect at 50,000, at 40,000 and 45,000 so that then when your line managers are making decisions, yes, there will be some level of subjectivity, but they're all using the same set of definitions and a framework to start with. They've put some clarity into the process um, in terms of the definitions that you can push back. But ultimately, that that process, you're still even if you were saying there's you're still putting some sort of ranking in at the end of the day, managers are still making a case for their the the effectiveness of their people. And it sounds like HR have still got to um you know have that oversight to ensure that because they need they know which managers are the ones who you know set flaky objectives or shout louder for their people you know relatively and you know there's so there's so many areas for bias and so I think this is the challenge isn't it making sure a our managers have got the the clarity of the process b they've got the skill to do it and and see there's some sort of oversight calibration um education process to to try and ensure that it's applied as fairly as possible yeah I, I you have this in um some large organization like google for example where uh, you know, even when it comes to the promotion process there, they, they, it's not, it's not just up to the line manager to make that decision on who gets promoted. And there's a panel that makes that decision. So the, you know, it's, it's about the line manager providing the, um, the recommendation and providing the evidence. And, you know, if they're not setting objectives, they're not having their one-to-ones, they, sh they won't have the evidence to provide. Uh, and so I think that puts some emphasis on the line managers to say, you know, you you will then have to go away and have this difficult conversation with somebody to say you didn't set the objectives and now you don't have any evidence to provide so this panel you know how yeah. can they approve something so yeah. maybe maybe that's i think that's a good idea is is having a panel to make some of those decisions rather than uh, give one person that ultimate responsibility so it's still as tricky as it's ever been i think it's yeah. not really <laughs> um uh, i'm not surprised there's no magic wand but i was just you know being yeah. If anyone to come up with a solution, I suppose getting and before we sort of start to wrap up, going back to your salary planning report, it was really interesting. I mean, the take home is interesting that you know really five percent seems to be about the budget for this year in terms of things. How you distribute it is in itself a challenge, which we've just talked about. The, the, there are people applying in addition to that these cost of living payments, maybe just to cushion it, but make sure we don't sort of reflect these costs in our businesses forever going forwards. And also we've covered that actually a high proportion um, of uh, the organisations that can are applying some sort of performance related pay hmm. more to bonuses, but also to salaries in, in some of them. Were there any other takeaways that we've maybe missed out on or haven't covered that jump out at you from your report or surprises or anything else as a takeaway that would be useful for our audience? Yeah, I, th I think the um, the one that really stuck up for me 
maybe because I have this real focus on pay transparency, was around um, we asked organizations how many of them from the, the 500 participants, how many of them have salary ranges? And uh, from the sample, 59% of organizations said that they had salary ranges. But out of this list of 59%, only 24% said that they published those salary ranges for everyone to see. So 76% of organizations said that they go through the work they uh, of putting together salary ranges, uh, you know, include them in their budget, but they're choosing not to share that information with employees. They're choosing not to share that information when there are advertised jobs, even though we know that there's a significant increase in applicants when we provide that information. So that to me was um, really, well, I, I guess not completely surprising, but just the numbers, because that 24% is also skewed a little bit by sectors like charity, non-public uh, sector that have uh, much higher levels of transparency, um, education as well. So when you look at sectors, I mean, I can give you some numbers. If you, um, if we look at um, life sciences, only 7% of organizations said that they published the salary ranges. Within financial services, it was 11%. Why, um, right? Because they basically pay as much as they have to, or as little as they have to, don't they? I, I would say to get to get yeah. the talent. So, if someone's learning whatever, and this is the right person they want to bring in, so they make a case to pay that person could be twice the amount that someone else. And I guess that's where other issues like gender pay gap and everything can really come in, um, in terms of those. Whereas yeah. higher education and NHS and things like that, there's a sort of the, these defined um, boundaries, I guess. But are you saying charities? They probably have variation, but they do publicize it but they have to be accountable don't they more externally is that why do you think i think th uh, that can be part of the reason but also um you know when you don't have the ability to pay the high salaries of financial services and and the research also shows us that what most people are looking for is is just knowing that they're being treated fairly and that transparency in the charity sector, that transparency, for example, in the education sector, demonstrates to people that we have a fair process. And yeah. I think you will start to see a trend in this direction because uh, this is all the research also tells us Generation Z employees are they're actually willing to sacrifice on some of the pay to, to seek an environment where they get transparency and a sense of purpose. And there's also legislation coming in. Um, so there's a number of states in the US that have introduced pay transparency and there's an EU directive coming in um, next quarter and member states in the EU will have up to three years to comply to this legislation which includes things like you have to have salary ranges you can't ask people about their current salary and uh, it gives employees more con um, you know power over uh, what they can ask for so they can ask for average salary rates for their job uh, and what people are paying so in the next few years, this is coming in and um, either organizations will move in this direction or they're going to be forced to do it. Well, I don't know if they are. But are they? Are we bound by it? If it's EU now, we're uh, independent. Yeah. Yes, that, that, I mean, that is a good point because it doesn't it doesn't apply to the UK um, because we've um, left. But organizations that will have operations in Europe will That's probably be impacted. Yeah. Direct. They will also want to be consistent with their European operations in the UK. But I think there's also going to be pressure on the UK government because the UK gender pay gap is one of the highest in Europe. 
And um, given that we already do the gender pay gap reporting for over 250 employees, which is going, which is part of this EU directive, I think that there's going to be pressure and likely that the UK government will adopt some of these laws. I didn't realise that our um, pay gap was one of the highest in Europe. I mean, so the transparency point, I guess this is almost a, an entire extra episode. And I know this is a subject that you are really passionate about, Ramiz, and congratulations, Ramiz's book, uh, a case of the Mondays has been shortlisted for the Best Business Book Awards, hasn't it? So good luck with that. That's on the twenty. Um, I suppose in terms of the transparency things, I mean, you've alluded to it a little bit. I, I, I guess from an employer's point of view, they are fearful, aren't they? Because fearful of doing this because of the fact they believe it will put high inflate in addition to inflation, inflationary pressures. So if you said that, you, you know, what's the average for this job? And as per your previous example, you know, they've recruited somebody who is the best thing since sliced bread, who is on an astronomical wage. There will be blips of people and they're not going to take a pay cut. Right. So um, mm. they can't afford to pay everybody. I, it's like, how do you square that circle? Is that the expression or whatever it around that <laughs> circle, that square, whatever it is. But I mean, that's the that's the concern that people have got. But I suppose that is the unfairness that's baked in. I mean, I can I can see why companies are going to resist it. I suppose is what what I'm saying. Um, is it is something that you would evolve towards? Yeah, I mean, there. So there's there's two main reasons why we find that organisations leaders are not sharing. One is the inequities. Um, you know, people sitting at different points within the pay range uh, because they've negotiated different salaries, or we ask the question, "What is your current salary?" And the other is that we usually or often we're recruiting people on salaries that are higher than our existing employees or our loyal employees because the market is moving but there's no mechanism for us to progress pay for our people whereas they develop their knowledge their skills their contribution so they don't want to show employees that oh we're willing to pay more than what we pay you to people who are just coming in well, you know, it's <laughs> and, funny you say that. i just remember one of the companies i used to work for there was a there's a well-known saying and a lot of people left and returned they said the only way to get a decent pay rise was to leave and come back so, yeah. so you know that it is a so it's actually the internal processes of not being able to have the flexibility to reward people maybe in line with their value that's part of the problem but ultimately, all of this is putting the pay people's salaries up, isn't it? The other big concern for me with, with pay transparency is I think it could be really demotivational because if you have sight of the fact that there's someone in your area and you know you're the top performer or whatever you believe yourself to be and you have an average salary and you know that your salary is average or you're below average, you know, there is a, a way of almost demotivating more people through being transparent, isn't there? I think part of it is is the language that we use. So, you know, not saying, oh, you're average, but actually um, sometimes we have this conversation to say, oh, I'm at the market rate. Um, why am I only at the market rate? But actually being at the market rate means you're doing a job really well and uh, you're performing well. And so it's a good place to be. But there is also research. So there's a company in the US called Pay, uh, Payscale. And they did this research where uh, a group of employees were paid below the market rate. And the job satisfaction rates were 42%. And when organizations explained to them, um, uh, were transparent, explained the, the reasons why they were paid below the market rates, their job satisfaction rates went up to 82%. And so there's a lot of research that shows us that sometimes we don't even have to increase salaries. It's just treating people like adults at a basic level, right? So it's saying, um, we're not saying, we feel that you can't handle this information, so we're going to share this with you. We're not going to share that with you. It's just being honest, and um, and that same sort of survey or um, 
Payscale found that one of the big best predictors of employee engagement was an organization's ability to communicate clearly and honestly about pay. So it's not what we pay people, it's being able to communicate honestly and clearly because you might be at the midpoint of the range and other people are at the top, but ultimately what they want to know is, is it fair that I'm that I'm at this stage and how can I get to the top end of that pay range or yeah. is it possible? And I can think there are other factors that should also, I, I mean, you don't really want to publish a pay range when there's only three people in that job role. Do you know that because that's kind of exposing? I, I would have. But you almost need to have something which has got a, a, a large enough sample potentially. That was that's my opinion. <laughs> well, I, so so we we're a small uh, team, and we have this rule that anything that we do for a client, we have to do ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we have our own job levels, we have our own salary ranges, and everyone can see what our salary ranges are and where they sit within those ranges. And we have definitions for what roles should sit in each band, what are the expectations for different points within the band. So if we can do it with you know, eight people, then um, I think uh, there's no reason uh, why you know, a, a 50 or 100 employee organization can't do it. Yeah, okay, so um, I, I think we'll, uh, rather than, I won't, we won't go into pay transparency further because I think there's loads more people can buy your book and, and learn more about it um certainly i mean transparency you can see is a good thing people feeling engaged and motivated is and and fairly treated has got to be um the key hasn't it in, in many of these ways but uh, i suppose it's getting there from where we are at the moment is part of the challenge as well it's you can't necessarily do it overnight um so another another challenge but um, fundamentally, if people want to know more about your salary trend survey, can you tell them, I assume they can come and download it from your website, can they, um, Ramiz, or if they want to get in touch with you and to, to work with you and your team to try and apply greater pay transparency? Yeah. Um, so the website, our website is 3r-strategy.com. And so the survey is available to download for free on the website. Uh, we're actually currently running uh, a Pulse survey because this survey was run at the end of last year and we were thinking inflation is really high. Is it, um, are some of these budgets going to go up um, now that people have seen inflation has continued to be high? So uh, our deadline is actually um, Friday, tomorrow. So um, this poll survey is publishing up-to-date numbers on pay budgets for this year, again, by sector. So if anyone wants to participate again, they can come to our website, get in touch and they'll get a free copy of the report. Great. So by the time this podcast goes out, they'll have the report. But let's maybe share. I'll share the link. Let's get sharing it on. Um, I'll I'll grab it off you, Ramiz, and we'll push oh, yes. we'll give yes, some people who may listen later um, to participate in it. Wonderful, uh, Ramiz. It's been a really interesting topic. I found that fascinating. So thank you so much for sharing your research and expertise there. Thanks, Lucinda. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast. <laughs>